Oh my goodness. It's another episode of Nick the American, and I'm just, you know, semi-excited to deliver it to you. So let's get to it. Don't I always say that? Well, I know you guys are getting tired of hearing about the kidney stone, but I got to update you. Every, you know, some people actually do want to know. I got really bad news from my doctor yesterday. My stone has not moved. It's still in the urinary tract. It has not moved. So my doctor has recommended surgery from Nick. Oh, I can't wait, right? So basically what this entails is they're going to stick a camera down my my dick. Don't! They're going to see where it is. They're going to attempt to break up the stone. Uh, I'm going to be under anesthesia, so I'll be out. Thank God. They're going to attempt to break up the stone through some sort of laser surgery. Yeah, I know a hell of a lot about it. You know, that's great. We're going to break up the stone, and then they're going to put a stint in my dick. Okay? And here's where it gets really exciting. There's going to be like an inch, two-inch string hanging out of my pee hole. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait. I've got to have this in for like five to seven days. And then I can either have... I can go in and have the doctor pull it out or I can pull it out on my own. And I was thinking, why don't I just pull it out on the podcast? Hell, I was even thinking about live streaming it and maybe letting a listener pull it out. You know, maybe one of my hot female listeners, if, if, if that would be okay. I think that'd be okay. I don't think my wife would have any problem with that. So it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. We'll see if we live stream it or not. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to live stream it. I'm going to be in pain and I'm I, I'm I'm stressed out about it, to be honest with you. But I guess the silver lining in this is for the last several months, my wife has been complaining. She wants a she wants an upgrade on her her wedding ring. She wants a bigger rock. And so I've instructed the doctors, we got to get this stone out of me, this five millimeter stone, because I'm actually going to update my wife's wedding ring. I'm going to put my five millimeter kidney stone onto my wife's wedding ring. And that way she'll have a piece of me. She will literally, wherever she is, she'll have a piece of Nick. Is that a good idea? I think she's going to love it. I think she's going to love it. All right. Enough about the fucking kidney stone. Touch on the NHL for a second. Obviously, I've been talking Kraken. We were eliminated um, last night, the night before, against the Dallas Stars. Oh, in game seven. And I just, enough talking about how how tough the hockey players are, but I, I do want to point out that the city of Seattle had had seven game sevens in its history. Mariners have never been in a game seven. We don't have a hockey team up until the last two years. We lost our supersonics in 2005, 2007. I don't even remember. The last game seven Seattle sports experienced prior to the NHL Seattle Kraken against the Colorado Avs and then the Dallas Stars. The last one was in 1997. 
we have had a total of seven game sevens prior to the NHL coming here. Game seven was something Seattle fans only heard about. We had to watch it on TV. Well, we got to experience a couple of them, and I'm 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 very grateful. Thank you, Kraken, for the run. Now let's go get better. You know, this hockey aficionado knows has no idea how the fuck to get better. So I'm still learning the sport, but we had two game sevens here in the last couple of weeks, and we had had seven in our entire history. So very cool. Very cool. I haven't talked a lot about the NBA. And one of the reasons why, you know, you won't hear me talk a ton about the NBA is because our our Seattle Supersonics are are not with us. And I think I feel pretty damn confident that Seattle's going to get an NBA team at some point in the near future. Let's call it over put the over under on three years. I don't know. I'll probably take the over. It's going to be three and a half. So it's hard to get into the NBA when you do not have a dog in the fight. It's hard to get into any sport when you do not have a dog in the fight, especially when you had a dog in the fight. You know, it was 1994 here. I'm this giant Bronco fan, right? This huge Denver Bronco fan. They mean everything to me. I think it's the second hardest sporting loss. And this should be a topic for later, too. The second hardest sporting loss I've ever taken is the 1994 Sonics. We won 63 games. We were the one seed. The best team in the NBA, Michael Jordan, had left. He was going to play baseball. The Supersonics were the best team in the NBA. And in the first round, we were the first one seed ever to lose to a six. We lost to the Denver Nuggets. And I wanted to break... Dikembe Mutombo's fucking finger off, right? Ah! Awful defeat. So you don't hear me talk a lot about the NBA, but I've been watching a little bit lately. I've been watching LeBron James and the Lakers literally load management to the umpteenth all year long. They sneak into the playoffs. They've got to play the play-in game. They wax the Grizzlies. They wax the Warriors, and as as I'm speaking to you, they're down 1-0 to the Nuggets, which is going to be a t- uh, you know a, a tall task. But how great is LeBron James? He's pretty damn great. If the Lakers can somehow win a championship here, just doggone impressive. And everybody wants to debate. Is LeBron the greatest? Is it Michael? Where does Kobe fit in, right? Well, here, how about this? Who gives a flying fuck who the greatest basketball player of all time is? He's one of the greatest, okay? Why do we need to argue over who's one, who's two, who's three? It's totally subjective. He's great. Get over it, okay? Now, and with that being said... You never need to listen to Stephen A. or Skip Bayless ever again, right? All that shit they go back and forth with, and I know they're all the same. They don't they don't speak to each other anymore. Um, Skips with Shannon, and I don't even know what Stephen A. is, but all the arguing they do over LeBron and who's the greatest. My goodness, give the guy his due. I recall. Tuning into ESPN to watch this 
LeBron James kid on ESPN play high school basketball. We were told a zillion years ago, this is the greatest basketball prospect in the history of mankind. There's no way this LeBron James could live up to the hype. With there, there, There's just absolutely no way. He was on ESPN as a teenager, being marketed as the greatest thing ever. Well, LeBron James has lived up to, it doesn't matter if he's better than Michael or not, he has lived up to every single thing they said about him. And I can't believe I'm saying this as a Seattle Supersonic fan, but dare I say, go Lakers? That sounds a little weird. But yeah, yeah. I've got no love for the Nuggets as a Denver Bronco fan. Piss on the Nuggets. Even though Jokic is Jokic's Jokic, whatever his name is, is pretty pretty damn good. Go Lakers. I'm just flat out saying it. Come on, LeBron. Come on, AD. Come on, Austin Reeves. Holy shit, the kid from Oklahoma. This kid, man, he, he looks incredible. I didn't even think he got drafted. How about a little bit more NBA talk? Ja Morant from my Memphis Grizzlies, my adopted hometown of Memphis. Ja kind of threw a a grenade into the the Grizz season uh, this year, even though they were still a one seed. They got bounced from the Lakers. I just watched him. Apparently, he pulled a gun. I didn't watch it, but on Instagram Live. And I had a conversation with some friends, and, and I was talking to this with a couple of my, my sons. What did he do wrong? He flashed his piece. Aren't you allowed to have a piece? Isn't that legal? So you have that. But his employer, who is the Memphis Grizzlies, and I guess, you know, the NBA, probably after he threw a grenade in the Memphis Grizzlies season this, this, this year, they probably gave him a list, uh, excuse me, a list of do's and don'ts. And one of the don'ts was probably a, probably a no tolerance don't was don't flash your damn piece on Instagram or any other social media platform. So sometimes you got to do what your employer says you got to do. But my goodness, John Morant, if you would have asked me three weeks into the NBA season, that he's going to be one of the greatest players of all time, and he's going to win multiple championships. I've said that the last couple of years. When we saw him in college, people were just blown away with his ball handling skills, just his overall game. And now, fast forward to now, is John Morant going to be in the NBA in five years? Over under, if you had to bet. Where will Ja Morant be in five years? I'm not sure. I don't know where I would go with that bet. Did he break any laws? I don't think so. It's okay to flash your piece. Why the hell not? You know, this is coming from a, a you know, a liberal who's supposed to be scared of guns. I'm not. But when you ruin your basketball season. When you're a one seed and you essentially sabotage it, you got to play by your employer's rules and they've got a zero tolerance. And they told him. So we'll see what kind of suspension he has. I hope he can turn it around. 
maybe we maybe maybe the super songs can get him in a couple of years once he's he's matured. But uh, there you go. There is the NBA talk. We'll talk about the NBA again when the commissioner brings back the green Seattle Supersonics. All right. How about something a little bit more serious? Let's talk about homeless, the homeless epidemic, the homeless crisis. Ew, the homeless. Let's talk about the roots of homelessness. Let's just talk about how we clean up some of our cities, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco in particular. You know, I have a a tremendous heart when I see homeless people. I really do. I see, you know, you see a dad on the corner with his sign that says help. I've got two kids. I lost my job. And I think to myself, that's the hardest work I can possibly imagine. Can he go get a job at Starbucks? Wouldn't that be easier? Can he go get a construction job holding the flag? I don't know, right? But can you imagine for a second being at such a low point that you would hold up a sign asking for a buck. I'll give you another, another quick story. I didn't, that wasn't a story I just gave you, but this was the other day I was walking into seven 11 and there was a, a homeless person. And I mean, there's different degrees of homeless and we'll get into that in a second. This homeless person was digging in the garbage. He was picking out 7-Eleven chicken wings that had some meat on the bone. And he was eating them. And I walked in and it just it just broke my heart. It, you know, I'm a human. It should break everybody's heart. And I walked into 7-Eleven and I got a five hour energy and I got what I needed to get and I bought chicken wings and I walked outside and he's got multiple chicken wings that there's meat left on the bone. I told him, Tear, don't eat these, eat these. And I gave him a box of chicken wings. I have a, just a, Huge. I just have so much sympathy for people that are in that kind of dire situation. And so I know the homeless epidemic has gotten very political. Everybody wants to point fingers, especially the Republican Party. They want to, you know, point fingers. Look at these liberal cesspools that exist on the West Coast. We don't have homelessness in the South or, or wherever, even though they do. But they're also right. There are cities in our country, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, that homeless feel too comfortable in. And they set up shop. Homeless encampments, excessive drug use, all of that kind of stuff. And I'm here to tell the Democratic Party, we need to be better. 
And I've seen some signs that we are improving. Jay Inslee is the state governor in the state of Washington. Bruce Harrell is the new mayor taking over for Jenny Durkin. Both of them seem committed now. Well, and Harold just came in, and, and he he literally came into office on the promise of cleaning up Seattle. And I think we're getting there. I think we're getting it. The problem is when you clean up a homeless encampment, doesn't it just go right back? You take everybody's stuff. You either put it in a, 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 a you know, some sort of impound where they can go pick it up, or you just throw it away. And I don't know what the laws are in Washington. If it's a 72-hour, they've got to give you notice before they come and raid your encampment. But in downtown city areas like Portland, like Seattle, we have to clean these places up. Seattle is not anywhere near Portland. Portland is a fucking disaster. I think Seattle's getting better. But they have to be cleaned up. Chronic homelessness has to be dealt with on so many different levels. But if we're going to ask people to come down, we're going to ask tourists to come down. We're going to ask businesses to come to Seattle and, 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 and do commerce. They can't have homeless people living out in front of their shop. We have to do our part as a city government, as a state government, maybe even as a federal government to make sure that our cities, our metropolitan areas are open for business, if that makes sense. If you go to Portland, these are professional homeless. These are straight up professional homeless. But let I, 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 so I, I just get, I've been scratching my head for the last few years on what the fuck is the Democratic Party doing? We don't allow people to live on the streets of Seattle. Do we want to become Portland? We've got to get tougher. We've got to be less compassionate in some regards when it comes to homeless people setting up shop in our cities. Now, there's two different kinds of homeless. There's the chronic homeless that we see. And from all of my readings, chronic homeless make up, we're talking, there's a, let's call it 100, 150,000 chronic homeless people in the country. Many of which are on the West Coast. Okay. Then there's the homeless and the homeless this could be they live in their car for a couple of days. They panhandled and maybe got a hotel room for a couple of nights. They stay with a friend. They're more invisible. The chronic homeless are visible. That's what we see, right? 100, 150,000 of them. The invisible homeless, we don't tend to see. And these people, we're talking anywhere from half a million to three quarters of a million people in the country, you know, what I call basic homeless. What are the solutions? What are the root causes? Now, I just ragged on the Democratic Party because they were too liberal. 
letting homeless people feel comfortable and set up shop in our downtown areas. To me, not acceptable. But let me defend the Democratic Party for a second here with the root cause of homelessness. It is not a liberal policy that caused them to be homeless. It is not a conservative policy that caused many of these people to be homeless. There's really, you guys read it for yourself. There's three reasons for homelessness. And this encompasses the visible homeless and the invisible homeless. The chronic homeless and the homeless, if you follow me. So, when you think about homelessness and the root cause, you're looking at drug addiction, you're looking at mental illness, and you're looking at affordable housing. There's the big three right there. And I don't know how to categorize them, which one's one, two, or three, okay? Affordable housing has got to fall under the invisible homeless. The, the half a million to 750,000 people that live in their car, that live on somebody's couch for a night, that stay in a hotel room one night, we have to have affordable housing in this country. And I, earlier on another podcast, I talked about, think of the world in 50-year increments. If we don't set up affordable housing across our nation, the invisible homeless, that number, is it going to be 3 million? Is it going to be 5 million? Is it going to be 2.8 million? We've got to address that. Affordable housing is something that everyone should be for. Unfortunately, I've got liberal friends. I've got conservative friends. And you know what they say? Oh, God, did you see a bunch of low-income housings going up there? What would you rather have? A bunch of bunch of 2500 square foot homes from the 1. Point, starting at the 1.5 millions people need affordable housing not everybody is kicking ass in this economy when we look at ceo pay right now it's like 400 times 400 they make 400 times their lowest workers in the 1980s, it was like 35 times. It keeps drastically jumping. And, and I'm not for anybody not making money. I want people to make lots of money. But when the haves and the have-nots, when, when, that, keeps, when that divide keeps growing, our homeless number is going to keep going too. Okay? It's going to keep growing too. Affordable housing, and I, I I see affordable housing starting to pop up in the city of Renton where I live, and I know people complain about it because they don't want low-income housing. It's kind of like a prison. Everyone wants, we need prisons, right? But not in my backyard. There's a lot of people who need to take their nose, liberals and conservatives, you know, out of the air and think about actual people, actual humans Republicans, Democrats, we need to we need to get affordable housing taken care of. It needs to be a priority for for both parties. Hopefully, we're going to see more of that. Now, affordable housing is not going to take care of 
the chronic homeless. I don't think it really has much to do with chronic homeless. I think affordable housing of the big three, drugs, mental illness, affordable housing, that is going to go a long way. And that half a million to 750,000 people in our country that are considered homeless, we've got to do everything in our power to make sure that that number does not grow. Okay. Now, is affordable housing a left-wing thing or a right-wing thing? No, it should be an American thing. It's absolutely an American thing. Think of the world in 50-year increments. We can't let, we, we, we don't want to have a million. We don't want to have 2 million or 3 million homeless people in our country. That's awful. That's depressing. That's heartbreaking. Now, the chronic homeless, the visible, the ones that we see, the ones that we're disgusted by. How did they get that way? We're talking about the people that you see on the streets, the regulars, the professional homeless in Portland and some of them in Seattle. It's drug use, drug abuse, and it's mental illness. I ripped on the Dems for being too lenient on these homeless encampments and stuff like that. But this isn't a liberal policy that's caused this. This isn't liberal policies did not cause drug addicts. They did not cause mental illness, even though I think both Republicans and Democrats are both mentally ill with their parties. We are. I'm mentally ill as a Democrat. Trust me, you as a Republican, you're mentally ill. We have mentally, we just have these mental blocks in our brain, right? We both do. How do we fix mental illness and drug addiction amongst this 150,000 or so visible homeless across our nation? Well, if we got Hakeem Jeffries, who is the House Minority Leader for the Democrats, and we got Kevin McCarthy, the the Speaker of the House, leading Republican in the House for the Republicans, if we, we made him sit in a room and made him come up with some solutions, how would we fix it? Could they do it? Free from the media, free from other congressmen who are going to get in their ear because if we just sat those two in a room with a bottle of whiskey could they come up with solutions i don't know and here here's why the only solution is money we need prisons we should be locking up habitual drug offenders that are consistently doing crack on our streets. I want to rehabilitate them. But after two strikes, three strikes, and they continue to live in your city, they need to be picked up, right? What do you do with mental illness? What do you do? And I know people in Renton. What's a police officer supposed to do? Go in there and... and Pick up this mentally ill person and take them where? To some sort of facility? If you got Republican and Democratic leaders together 
they could probably agree that the VA goes around and, and we go grab every single United States veteran from the streets. No United States vet belongs on the street. Mentally ill, drug addicted, the non-visible homeless, we should find them. We should go get them. We should give, we should go to the end of the earth to make sure that they have the help with that we need. And if if you if you go on the VA's website, I, I, we're doing this. We are doing this. Leave no veteran behind. I bet Jeffries and McCarthy could come up that they could agree on that. But it's going to take a whole lot of money. We need mental mental institutions, we need drug rehabilitation centers and we need jails. All three to fix this problem. It is just a very tough one because I've never heard a solution. I hear, oh, you know, just what I said. But if we have more mental facilities and we have more drug rehab facilities and we have more prisons and we have more affordable housing, can we make a dent in this homeless epidemic? If governors like Jay Inslee and mayors like Bruce Harrell get their act together, and show Portland, here's how you clean up a city. Will it help? I hear a lot of complaining about the homeless from both sides. What I don't hear is real solutions. And if someone's going to talk about real solutions, they got about they got to talk about money. Are we? as Democrats and Republicans, willing to spend money on chronic homelessness? Are we willing to spend money to make sure that homeless people, the invisible homeless people, have affordable housing? Are we willing to do that? Who's got the answers? Or does everyone just want to point fingers? I'm a human being. My life is pretty good. You be a human being as well. Don't put your nose up when next time you see a homeless person. Give them a smile. Give them a thumbs up. Maybe it would brighten their day. Maybe you're too embarrassed to do it. I know I have been. At times. But it is a very, very tough task that we have. And it it's basically homelessness. Isn't it a product of haves and have nots? And if you believe at all that it is a product of maybe people who have something and people who don't have something. Then we need to make sure that that gap doesn't consistently widen, doesn't consistently widen and widen and widen. Because in 50 years, we're going to have millions and millions of homeless. Talked about Blue Lives Matter. Cops, right? Imagine if you're a police officer. Just take yourself through the scenario, okay? You're downtown Seattle, and there's... 
three, four guys shooting their arms up with heroin. Woohoo! Right? They're getting high as a kite. Meanwhile, there's there's young children, there's 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 you know tourists, people are walking around trying to enjoy the beautiful city of Seattle. And it is beautiful, I'm telling you. If you're a cop, what do you do? You so you go up and you arrest them, right? Let's let's walk through this quick scenario. You arrest them. You book them into the jail. How long do they stay for? Three days, ten days? They get somewhat clean, and then you let them go. Or you don't. What do you do with them? What do you think is going to happen when you let them back out? When you have humans who don't give a fuck, they've lost all hope. I don't know what you do. Think about that cop. He arrests him. He puts him in jail. At some point, you got to release them, and they go right back to where they were. You pick up a mental, mentally ill person, a severely mental, mentally ill person, beyond repair, most likely. Is there a facility where you can take them and hold them? What if they refuse to be taken? What do you do? Think about how tough it is on a police officer. You imagine going in and cleaning up a homeless encampment. Someone's someone's life is in that cardboard box. Someone's life is in that. And you're going to pick it all up and throw it in the trash. Man, isn't it fun to be a fucking cop? Jeez, what an awful Awful job. What a tough thing to do. Republicans and Democrats, Hakeem Jeffries and Kevin McCarthy, we all should be having a conversation about how we make sure the haves and the have-nots, the gap doesn't widen. It doesn't widen. What can we do? What kind of facilities can we offer mentally ill people? drug addicts how many more prisons do we need and where they where do they need to be built so people who absolutely don't give a fuck anymore and they feel the need to shoot up right in front of anyone and everyone in our downtown cities they need to be dealt with there is no easy solution there's no easy solution How tough would it be to be homeless if you lost everything? How can we help? I would love for the Democratic leadership and the Republican leadership to get together and put their hands together set aside their differences and says, say, we are going to help people in need and come up together with a plan that we can agree upon. No more leniency in our cities, Democrats. No more.
Republicans, don't point the finger at the root cause of homelessness being liberal policies. We didn't give that mentally ill dude or that drug addicted dude an EBT card and he became so dependent on the government that he just became a waste and started living in the city. Drug addiction is not left or right. Mental illness is not left or right. We've got to tackle those. We've got to tackle it with dollars. We've got to tackle it with a sense of compassion. Both parties stand up. Let's work together on this. Okay. Now, I have got some exciting news. Enough of the homeless breaking my heart and depressing me. I met yesterday with Hazen High School's head varsity football coach. It has been a dream of mine to coach high school football. I met with him for about two hours yesterday, Coach Bennett. And after the meeting, we agreed that I will coach varsity football for the very first time this upcoming season. I've coached youth football. I've coached youth baseball. This is going to be a step up for me. Nobody knows high school football in the state of Washington like I do. And I am absolutely over the moon excited for this opportunity. It's going to consume me. And my goodness, I'm moving my company in Memphis down the street. My lease is up. We're going to be moving facilities. So I got that on my plate. I'm doing this damn Nick the American podcast, right? The fuck am I thinking? And now I'm adding being a varsity football coach, which will totally be like a drug for me. I'm going to be hooked. I'm going to eat, sleep, shit, high school football, like all high school football coaches do. But I'm excited. The more on my plate, and this goes for everybody. You say to yourself, oh, I, you know, maybe I shouldn't, I shouldn't coach. I've got too much on my plate. What I find, the more you put on your plate, the more you get done. You find time. You've only got a small window. Man, I better get something done here. I better get my business with SpecCam done, buttoned up. I've got Tell 3 to do it. I better get my podcast finished. Better figure out what the fuck I'm talking about, right? Well, I've got to watch film. I've got to prepare a bunch of young men for opponent after opponent after opponent. I just, again, I am so over the moon. I get to help shape young men for the next several months. I get to connect with them. I get to scream at them. I get to love them. I get to break them down. I get to build them up. I get to be a part of their lives. It's not just about football or any sport that you're coaching. I get to help make them better young men. You better believe I'm going to do it or I'm going to give it my best shot. 
I hope I don't have a heart attack on the sidelines. But I thought I would share that with you. Nick the American is now a high school football coach. I'm fucking fired up about it. And I will share with you periodically the trials and tribulations of our mini camp, our two-a-days, our week one opponent. If we never win a game, I'll share that with you. If we're kicking ass, taking names, I'll share that with you. I don't think it's official what position group I'm going to be teaching, but I want to coach the offense and defensive lines. And here's what I told Coach Bennett yesterday. I told him, if I'm your offensive line coach, we are going to break the huddle like we're going to kill Bin Laden. I'm not fucking kidding. That's how we will break the huddle. We might not be the best offensive line in the league. We may be. But we are going to be as tough as any offensive line in the league. If you play Hazen, we are going to bloody your fucking nose. I don't know if we're going to win or lose, but we are going to bloody your fucking nose. And when we break that huddle, we break it with a purpose. We're going to kill Bin Laden. I'll keep you updated on it. I'm grateful to Coach Bennett. Thanks for the opportunity, sir. I will not let you down. I will not let the kids down. Hey, everybody who's listening, pick something else up. You've got time. You can do it. Put more on your plate. Be more rewarding in the end. Last but not least, I wanted to share with you Nick the American's religion. I've had this religion for some time. I was baptized Catholic. I don't subscribe to that. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not an atheist. I really don't even know what I am. But I've got a religious philosophy that I I, I live by that regardless of, of what religion that you subscribe to, I think you can subscribe to my religion a little bit. That goes for the Muslim. That goes for the Christian. That goes for the Scientologist. I think you can subscribe to my religion a little bit. Nick, what the fuck is your religion? There's a a lady in the 1980s. Her name was Belinda Carlisle. And she sang a song. Heaven is a place on earth. I love that song. Who doesn't love that song? Play it, Scott. Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. They say in heaven, love comes first. We'll make heaven a place on earth. Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. Heaven is a place on earth. I think about that, and I I think if heaven's a place on earth, is hell a place on earth? So my religion is real simple. Folks, heaven is right here. Some people experience heaven on earth. 
Some people don't. If heaven's here on earth, hell is here too. And some people experience heaven and hell in a lifetime on earth. Some people just experience heaven. Some people just experience hell. Some people experience both and some people experience neither. How do you experience heaven? My heaven, my religion, it's my family. It's my friends. It's my kids. That's heaven to me. Hell would be losing them, would be getting divorced from my wife, um, losing a child prematurely, them out, you, know, you outliving your child, something like that. Heaven is here. Go get it. Hell is also here. Stay away from it. I imagine most Americans experience both at some point in their life. Heaven is a place on earth. And it, Belinda Carlisle, Belinda, um, you're the L. Ron Hubbard of my religion. You're the one who invented this, okay? Heaven is a place on earth. Belinda Carlisle is L. Ron Hubbard. Who, if those of you don't know who L. Ron Hubbard is, he's the founder of Scientology. Belinda, listen to me. I will be your David Miscavige. I will spread the word that heaven is on earth. Go get it, Americans. I think about religion sometimes. And I'm like, shit, man, I'm in the wrong business. I should have been a pastor. I should have been. Does anybody know who Kenneth Copeland is? COVID-19, and he just blew it away. He's a pastor in the South. Does anybody know what Kenneth Copeland is worth? His net worth? 750 fucking million dollars. Kenneth Copeland, Kenny Copeland is worth, the guy who blew COVID-19 away is worth 750 million. Joel Osteen, my boy out over there in Houston, prosperity religion. I like Joel. I like Joel. I don't Kenny Kenny Copeland to me is a snake oil salesman. I I like Joel. I like listening to Joel sometimes. His prosperity religion. He's worth a hundred million dollars. Gets me thinking. I'm like, my goodness. My company, SpecCam, we operate, we've got 55, 60% gross margins, right? They're good. There's no margins quite like Jesus margins. You just ask Kenny Copeland and Joel Osteen and a bunch of other mega church pastors. I'm in the wrong damn business. So Belinda, you are my L. Ron Hubbard. I will be your David Miscavige. Scientology was invented in the 70s. Well, you started heaven as a place on earth in the 80s. Let me preach for you. Let me be your David Miscavige. Let me be your vehicle to the rest of the country, to the rest of the world. doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you, heaven is a place on earth. Go find it. Hell is also a place on earth. You'll most likely 
at some point in your life, in some way, shape, or form, experience it. How do you experience your heaven? Is it your family? Is it your work? Whatever the hell it is, go get your heaven. And on that note, that's our show. Hey, go smile at a homeless person. Give them a thumbs up. Tell them it'll be okay. That might be baseless and bottomless. But please give them a thumbs up next time you see them. Smile. It might go a long way. All right, guys. I love you. Kind of. Maybe the next time we talk, I'll be pulling on a string. I doubt it. All right. Be good. Talk to you later. Goodbye.